0: My name is Eva, and this is a history episode. Welcome to part five of the history of the anarchy. February 1141. King Stephen is held prisoner by Robert of Gloucester in Bristol Castle. Stephen is, quite literally, in chains, while his cousin and rival for the throne, Empress Matilda, is set for the march on London to be crowned Queen of England and Normandy. That is the scene from whence we start today's episode. By spring of 1141, Matilda was, geographically speaking, secure in England. Her and her brother, Robert of Gloucester's control, stretched from the southwest, most of the north and northwest, With Kent in the southern part of England the only county that was still safely, if that term can even be used, in Stephen's hands, or rather in the hands of his more than able wife, Queen Matilda, more on her later. But England and Normandy too were otherwise in the control of Empress Matilda. Henry of Winchester. King Stephen's brother, whether from pragmatism or treachery, or more likely a combination of both, now urged his fellow clergy to support Matilda, and in March of 1141 welcomed her to Winchester, where he formally gave her the keys to the treasury, a treasury that was severely depleted from Stephen's campaigns against her. Henry of Winchester then persuaded, threatened, and excommunicated those unwilling to comply. Just a bye-bye. A Catholic excommunication, which I also mentioned in the last episode, entails exclusion from receiving the sacraments, such as the Eucharist and the Last Rites, and those who are excommunicated are seen as being outside of the church. This was devastating for the medieval person, for the church taught that there was no salvation outside the church. So, excommunicating those unwilling to support a future Queen of England, left them not only in harm's way when the wrath of Matilda burned them, but their immortal soul was also damned to the perils of hell. Despite this, some, even some clergy, were hesitant in breaking their oaths of fealty to Stephen, and only when Stephen, from Bristol Castle, gave them leave to do so, as his situation did seem hopeless, did the last of the clergy Somewhat reluctantly support Matilda as she was formally proclaimed Lady of England. In our ears, this title may sound as if it has little bearing, not like the title of Queen. However, the title of Queen had traditionally only meant wife of a king and symbolized in itself no real governing power. A lady, as in lady of a manor, was a title that actually did imply power over land and people. And as a title for an uncrowned Matilda, it told the world that she intended to rule with power over land and people. While her announcement as a lady of England may have satisfied men of the cloth, Some lords still held out, for Stephen, while admitting his situation was hopeless, still refused to formally surrender the crown. And the common people too were wary. Who was this lady who was to rule them, who had not lived in England since her eighth year in the world? The wariness of the common folk came to be matched by the growing unease of the nobility, as it gradually transpired that Matilda really did mean to rule in her own right, and not as a figurehead for some male authority. As the author of Digesta Stefani wrote, On being raised with such distinction, she began to be headstrong in all that she did. This, you might recall, harkens back to the portrayal of her that I covered in part four. Not only was Matilda a woman of force, but she was in constant need of showing this to those around her, and those around her were men who thought they might govern for or through her And Matilda's experience of governance had been moulded in the Holy Roman Empire, where she expected and got full imperial authority. And it was this type of independent ruling that she now exercised with traits and hints of arrogance, a dark temper and sense of vengeance. Traits that had also been seen in her father and grandfather, but for which she was judged very harshly. But no matter the personality, subservient or commanding, king or queen, a ruler in England had to be crowned in Westminster Abbey and show themselves in London. The city of London had by the 1140s evolved to being the financial and political capital of England, with a population of around 30,000. And the city had historically had the privilege of confirming a coronation by acclamation. The support of the city of London had elevated Stephen to the crown and had secured Matilda's father, Henry I, a very strong backing in his own political manoeuvres. But it seems, at least to our eyes looking back in time, that Matilda took the the loyalty of the Londoners as a matter of course. When she summoned London's leading men, In the spring of 1141, it was not, as they expected, to favor them. Instead, she demanded large sums of money to secure her rule. She had, after all, just been handed a near empty treasury, and London boasted of being the wealthiest of cities in her new kingdom. Astounded as the Londoners were, they were not immediately put off. They hoped that Matilda's victory had put an end to the fighting and now a peace would ensue that would allow merchants to again become rich from trade and lower the tax demands that Stephen had put on them. For the pockets of the Londoners were, at least for now, nearly as depleted as the Royal Treasury and they asked for time to recuperate their losses over the last few years. This, Matilda refused. Reminding them of how many times they had financially supported Stephen, she told them that it would not be just to spare them, or so wrote the author of Digesta Stefani. Such an uncompromising stance surprised those around her and became a point of contention when she, perhaps unwisely, treated friend with as much haughtiness as she treated and bestowed on foe. Contemporary chroniclers described how she treated her allies with far less respect than they might have expected. David, King of Scotland, Robert of Gloucester, and her new friend, Henry of Winchester, were often summoned to her side, but when they appeared in her presence, she did not rise as respect might have commanded, but remained seated as they bent the knee. This was noticed by many, her friends and the not-so-friendly. One who noticed, or at least was told, that Empress Matilda may have won the ground, but not the hearts and minds of her people, was Queen Matilda, wife of the now-imprisoned King Stephen. The Queen petitioned the Empress for the release of Stephen, swearing to go into exile with him or promising to see him take the cloth as a monk. But Empress Matilda refused all pleas and would see Stephen in nothing but chains and Stephen's son, Eustace, deprived of his lands and heritage. While this might have seemed like a sensible enough precaution, it was viewed as mean-spirited, while Queen Matilda was viewed as gentle and loyal a woman of subtlety with a man's resolution. With patience and wisdom, Queen Matilda managed to unify her husband's allies and fought on his behalf with diplomatic grace and keen precision, aimed not least at the disgruntled Londoners who had quickly despaired of Empress Matilda and the prospect of her autocratic rule. By June 1141, the coronation of Empress Matilda was due in a matter of weeks. She had most of England secured, and through her husband's forceful campaigns in Normandy, she had the support, albeit tenuous, of the Lords of Normandy, who too had grown weary of Stephen and now declared for Empress Matilda the Lady of England and soon to be Queen of England. So as Matilda entered the borough of Westminster in late June of 1141, she felt elated. Others did not. By this time, a rift between her and Henry of Winchester Stephen's brother and erstwhile supporter, had become a valley too steep to cross, as she, much like Stephen, had reneged on her promises to the church and started appointing her own men to important clergy positions, such as the bishopric of Durham. Durham's clergy were If you recall, Stephen's men who saw him as their savior against the 1136 attacks of David, King of Scotland. So while it was understandable that Matilda would fill such positions with those who supported her, it made it only clearer for an ambitious man like Henry of Winchester that she, not he, would rule England. Henry of Winchester realised that his defection from his brother's cause would not see him accumulate more power and he started to distance himself from the Empress. She, however, took no heed of this as she prepared for an extravagant coronation to be paid for by the Londoners. But The London merchants' anger at the money demanded of them, their fury at her dismissal of their appeal for time and their fear of what their future queen would do to dissenters finally came to a head on the evening of the 24th of June, 1141, when Londoners went from treasonous muttering to outright rebellion. Angry groups on the streets of London grew to crowds that grew to a mob that forced its way into Westminster Palace, invading the kitchens, pillaging Empress Matilda's private chambers and overturning the tables where the Empress, soon to be Queen, was about to enjoy her supper. Empress Matilda was scurried away without any of the dignity she demanded in daily life. And in the dusk of that evening fled the city of London, riding through the throngs that would assault her, riding side by side with Robert of Gloucester until they reached Oxford. She survived, physically unscathed, but burning with fury. So, so tantalizingly close to her dream. But it just as one Matilda fled London, another entered it quietly in quiet triumph. Queen Matilda, wife of King Stephen, sought out those Londoners previously scorched by the Empress's fury and begged and bought their support back to her husband's cause. Her most notable convert was Stephen's unhappy brother, Bishop Henry of Winchester, who now defected from Matilda and returned to Stephen. Empress Matilda, fury coursing through her veins, wasted no time in seeking vengeance and quickly moved to besiege and capture Bishop Henry's stronghold in Winchester. In this, she was successful. But events were moving at lightning speed, for even as she enjoyed the fruits of her victory in July, by August, her forces were surrounded by a faction of Stephen's army headed by his queen, Queen Matilda, who led a sizable group of mercenaries and angry Londoners to Winchester. Stephen's army closed every road out of Winchester. And just like Stephen at the Battle of Lincoln, the erstwhile besiegers now became the besieged with no means of resupplying themselves. By September, Robert of Gloucester had called for an orderly withdrawal out of Winchester, but his troops were fought tooth and nail by Stephen's loyal supporters who meant to take them all alive or dead. A rear-guard action was fought that allowed for that one thing that seemed impossible, escape. Under near-impossible circumstances, Empress Matilda escaped the full encirclement of Winchester, an escape so wondrous that all manner of tales was told about it, that she escaped in a coffin, covered in mud, flew out on a raven, but the truth was simply that she lay aside her royal garments and escaped with the rear guard unseen by the enemy it was her brother's fighting that allowed matilda to escape yet her brother was not so lucky knowing him to be empress matilda's most formidable formi- formidable man i'm sorry he was pursued while on the run until he reached Stockbridge, a town northeast of Winchester. Here he was surrounded by Stephen's forces, with only a rickety bridge ahead of him. With no options to fight, Robert of Gloucester was taken prisoner and transported to Rochester Castle, a fortress-like stronghold in the southeast of Kent, while Empress Matilda fled, fled, fled. To the safety of Gloucester in the southwest. And so was the lay of the land in late 1141 after the rout of Winchester. England could not function without a sovereign, but a king lay in chains while a would be queen was in retreat. Everyone was aware that while Stephen was the strength of his cause, Robert of Gloucester was the strength of Emperor Matilda's course, and with these two men imprisoned in opposite ends of the country, what would happen now? What certainly did happen was what most feared, a renewed period of anarchy. Lawlessness flooded the country as there was no higher authority to prevent one lord from taking what he wanted from another or hindering Crimes of the terrible kind on the travel routes of England. As defeated as she seemed now, Empress Matilda was mind steeled and unbroken in adversity, and Queen Matilda, a gentler being perhaps, but no less determined in keeping Stephen's supporters at her side. The question was not what would happen next, the question was. Who would act next? And that is the question that finishes off this episode. I hope you are getting the gist of this colourful period in history and why I am forever fascinated by it. Next time, a royal reversal of fortune. Until then, I have been Eva and thanks so much for listening.